Be with us today, God, as we open up the word, as we sit before you, God. Pray that you'd be with my tongue. I pray that we would just, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive, that our mind would be able to understand, our ears to hear, God, that you would give us the understanding of your word, God. But, Lord, that it wouldn't stop with an understanding in the mind, but it would truly drop down to our hearts and affect our lives, God. Lord, your word is is to affect us. It's not information download. It's not just hearing good sermons. It's not just being able to structure and outline things, God, but it is to affect us. And, Lord, I want the word to affect me. And I ask that you would affect all of us by your beautiful and powerful word. And we thank you and we praise you for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I want to, last night I was with uh, my daughter and I was putting her to bed. And, and I'm going to kind of explain where this sermon came from. But it was funny because the, the sermon, this goes with the title of the sermon and everything that's happened. But last night I was putting my daughter to bed. And uh, apparently she's been watching a TV show that is kind of a kid's superhero show. And one of the things in, in the show, there's the phrase that they keep using for a certain character. And they say, you were born a hero or you were born to be a hero. You were born to be a hero. And so I was talking to my daughter and she was just being sweet or something. And she said to me, she said, daddy. You were born to be a hero. And I, I took the opportunity to, to correct her bad theology. And um, I love her. She's so sweet. Um, and I told her, I said, sweetie, I love that you think daddy's your hero. And in many ways, I want to be your hero. But the truth is, is there's really only one hero. And there's only one that could rescue. There was only one that was able to be the hero. And we know who it is. It's, it's, it's really the Trinity, if we're being honest there. But it's Jesus, it's the Father, it's the Holy Spirit. They're our hero. And I was thinking about that statement when she was saying that. And all week I'd been contemplating what to preach and what to minister. And there was a statement that I just could not get out of my heart all last week. And really the last three weeks that Pastor Lee has made to you and me. Um, I believe he said it on a Sunday night here. So if you don't come to Sunday nights, you should come to Sunday nights because you get to hear some really powerful stuff. I'm sure he'll preach it here eventually on a Sunday morning. But he shared it on a Sunday night and he shared it at the pastor's retreat we were at. And a few weeks ago, we were next door with some pastors and he shared it with some pastors. And he made this statement. He said, many people in the church today have a lot of heroes, but very few heroes, Jesus. Very few people's hero is God, the Father. Very few people's heroes, the Holy Spirit, most people's heroes, maybe even within the church, some celebrity pastor that they love to listen to. Or, or maybe it's, it's the new best worship team, worship band that's out there that everybody's, you know, this new one, they're great. We love them. This is the one we're listening to. Um, some people in the church, if we're just being honest, their heroes aren't even even those things. It's maybe a, a sports icon. Maybe it's a celebrity of some sort. And we idolize these people. And they're really our heroes. But he asked the question, and he he just made that statement. And all I could think about was that question for me is, who is your hero? Who is my hero? Who is your hero today? And I want to lead that into a series of questions with this. But just to start us off, for you to consider this question, who is your hero? Because the reality is, is that there's only one that's the true hero of our lives. And it's Jesus, and it's the Father, and it's the Holy Spirit. And so you would ask, okay, so you're asking, well, who's my hero? And I I want to tell you why it matters that Jesus is your hero, or why it matters that God is your hero. It does matter. 
The truth is, is that whoever your hero is, is usually the one you idolize, and it's the one you mimic. It's the one you wish to be like, right? You, you, your hero is um, a particular athlete. You begin to try to be like this athlete. You see it all the time with kids. They want to be like Steph Curry, so they try to shoot threes like Steph Curry, and they have no business doing it. You see people do it all the time. Their hero is a particular pastor. They listen to this guy all day long, all day long, all day long. And then their very sermons and their very emotions and the very things they do mimic everything that pastor is. That's a sad reality. People do it in the church. But the reality is, is this, is that our heroes are the ones we mimic. Our heroes are the ones we wish to be like. Our heroes are the ones we idolize. And I would challenge us today and ask us today, can God not be our hero? title of the sermon today that the Lord has put in my heart is this, is God the Father is our hero. God the Father, our hero. Truly our hero. So why does it matter that Jesus is your hero or the Father is your hero? It's because you're going to idolize him. But particularly because Pastor Lee mentioned something to us that I thought was incredibly insightful last Sunday night and important. And he's mentioned it a couple times at some pastor's meetings. And you don't have to turn there, but I just want to remind you of what he said. He said, that the reason why it's so important that God is our hero is so that we give him what he deserves. And giving God what he deserves actually does something. Well, he does something. I'm, I'm so thankful that I feel like the last two sermons that God has birthed in me has come from a thought that Pastor Lee said and it just led into another. I just love that. It stirs my heart. And, and this, is what, this is what the thought was. The thought was this, is that in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 it talks about how the men, there was men that knew God, that, but they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. They knew who God was, but they didn't give him the glory or the thanks or the praise that he deserved. And so because of that, they became futile in their thinking and foolish and their hearts were darkened. Why does it matter? God is our hero. God is the one we follow. God is the one we love. God is the one we idolize. Because if we don't, we will begin to give praise and thanks to other things. And it moves us away up from a place of praise. And when you move yourself away from a praise of thanksgiving, the heart can become hardened. Hardened. That's a dangerous ground. And I understand this is particularly speaking of the lost people in chapter 1. But the reality is that even happens to believers. Believers, once you cease to give God the praise and the glory he deserves, next thing you know, your heart becomes hardened towards God and you struggle with God's goodness. You struggle with God and what, and what do you think he's done for you? And you blame God. You get in the blame game. God, how could you allow this? God, how could you do this? But praise and thanksgiving keeps us from that place. Regardless of how hard it is to do, it keeps us from that place. And so if God is my hero, and God is my, the one I, I want to mimic, God is the one I want to be like, God is the one that I love, God is the one I adore, I will naturally give him the praise and the thanksgiving that he deserves, and my heart can stay in a healthy place. And so it matters that God is our hero, God the Father. And so what I want to do today is simply this, is I want to remind ourselves of the greatness and the goodness of the Father, so that we will see God the Father as our hero. And that it will lead us to live a life in a manner worthy of our Lord Jesus, giving thanksgiving unto God. And now I say that with, with complete respect and understanding that I can't do that. I can't do that. I've, I, I thank God that he is, he's maturing me, and he has matured me more and more in ministry. That I clearly, I've come to the realization more and more, I can't do anything. I can't preach a message to get you to believe something. I can't get the youth to do things. Believe me. 
I can't do it. And that's what, and I thank God because he's, he's, he's maturing me there. And I thank God because it brings me to a place of absolute desperation of the Holy Spirit. Absolute desperation of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in, in 1 Colossians, 1 Colossians uh, 29, he says, His desire is to present everyone mature in Christ. But he does this, for he toils this way and struggles with all his energy that, the, that he powerful with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. In other words, Paul says, I want to so badly present everybody mature in Christ, but the only way I can do it is if I toil and struggle with the energy of Christ in me. And I just, I just say that to you today. Like, I, I have no energy. I'm tired. I have no energy to be able to do anything. No power to be able to get anybody's eyes to be open today, but the Holy Spirit does. The truth is, is that in every sermon, and every Bible study you teach, everything, there's three people that are keenly involved in this. There's the preacher, the minister, and they better not be lazy. I don't think God honors that. There's you, the one that hears, and there's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit really is the difference maker. But the person who speaks, they better do what they need to do. God honors that. But for the people listening, everybody in here, you can sit in this room today and you can download information and not be illuminated by the Holy Spirit if your heart's not ready to receive. And so what I simply ask of you is I pray, I pray that I've done everything I'm supposed to do. But I pray that you also in your heart right now would begin to pray, Holy Spirit, I want to see Jesus. That you didn't come here in the motions, you didn't come here through church tradition, you didn't come here through the simplicity to hear another sermon, or to do another worship service, or just to feel better about yourself, but you literally came with the desire to say, I want to see Jesus, and I recognize the only means by which I will ever know or see Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And the only means by which I will ever preach a, a, worth, a word worth anything is by the Holy Spirit. And so we just have to be desperate for Him, and we ask Him to come. And so just even in your own heart, make that your prayer. Make that your prayer. And turn with me to the book of Colossians as we read the scripture today. We're going to start in verse, no, chapter 1, verse 9, and we're going to go to 14. And I'm going to give you a, just a, a simple sermon, I believe, on God the Father, our hero. Simple sermon. God the Father, our hero. Verse 9 says this. And so from the day we have heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so what you see here in this passage is Paul's writing the letter to the church in Colossae. And he's writing this letter to them because he wants them to get back in alignment. They've drifted off. They're kind of mixed up in some stuff. You'll find out in chapter 2. But he's drift, He's pulling them back and he does so. And in chapter 1, what he does is he gives this thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8, really. He's thanking God for their lives, for their faith, for the love that he's heard about in them, what God's doing in their life. But what you see in verses 9 through 14 is this beautiful prayer he has for them. And this beautiful prayer is he's basically, he prays this. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the whole reason why he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding is this. So that their lives 
or can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, verse 10 tells us, fully pleasing to him. That's his prayer. I pray this for you so that your lives would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Jesus, essentially. And then he gives a list of what does that look like? What does the life of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord look like? What Fully pleasing to him. And he gives you three things here. He gives you bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So number one, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is to bear good fruit. It's, it, that, that's pleasing to the Lord. The Lord delights in Christians producing fruit. It's, it's something that should come out of our lives. And so he says that. But then he also says the second thing that is uh, in a manner worthy of, of the Lord and fully pleasing to him is when we're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. When we allow the Lord to strengthen us, it pleases the Lord, helps us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's important for our lives. But then the third thing he says is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is what you see in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Some translations will say give joyful thanks to the Father. But this right here is what Paul is calling to them and saying, if you want to live a life in a manner worthy of the Lord, give thanks to the Father. Why? And he gives you the list of why. And I want to look at this list today because when I was going through this list, I was reading this passage this week, just through my devotional time, and just reading this, I just thought, my hero, my hero, God the Father, glory. He is so glorious and so beautiful. And I pray today that you would not have information. Pray today you would have illumination, revelation of the beauty and the majesty of God the Father. That's all I ask and that's all I hope for God to do today is for you to just walk away saying, my God is my hero and my God is more precious and more beautiful than anything this world could ever offer me. Amen. So I want to give you three simple observations that you may have even already seen just reading through this. Reasons why we give thanks to the Father and I would say reasons why God the Father is my hero today. The first one I want you to look at is this statement that he says in verse 12. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. The first reason why God is my hero today and why God should be our hero today and why we should give him thanks is because he has qualified us. He has qualified us today. And what does it mean to be qualified for something? It simply means to be made adequate or competent. So in our lives, God has qualified us. I was thinking about this as a doctor, and if Chris Forster's in here, he knows all too well about this. But we, 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 we recognize this term when you go to a job opportunity. So people apply, and they're like, are you qualified for this position? Are you qualified for that position? Right? And people have to build a resume to show that they're, they're qualified in some way or they're adequate to do the job. And I was thinking about doctors, and gosh, they go through a lot to get qualified just to practice medicine. It's a lot. I'll, just, I'll read this to you. For a doctor to be qualified to practice medicine, they have quite a journey. It, complete, it starts off by first they must complete an undergrad education where most of us stop and many of us never go to, right? Right? So you have to do an undergrad education. Then they have to pass the MCAT examination. Then they have to apply to medical school, get accepted in medical school, complete training at, a, at the medical school itself. Then they got to pass parts one and two of the United States medical licensing examination, match with the residency, 
graduate from medical school and then start residency, pass part three of the United States medical licensing exam, and finish residency, then earn board certifications, get a state license, or get several, and lastly, approve, apply for a job as a doctor. And when you think about this, and you know doctors, it is a long journey to be qualified to be a doctor. It is a lot of work. It, 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 the fact is, it's a great accomplishment. It's a great accomplishment to be a doctor, to be qualified to practice medicine. It requires a great cost financially, ask any of them. And it requires great energy, time, their whole life. They work very hard to do it. But the reality is, is that doctor, for someone to be qualified as a doctor, is that they have to do it. They have to make themselves that. No one can do that for them. But the beautiful thing about what we're going to read is that the Bible just tells us this, is that he qualifies us. God qualifies us. He is the one who brings, makes us quality in any way. And so he qualifies us in what? In the inheritance of the saints. In the inheritance of the saints. Jesus, our God has qualified, God the Father has qualified us in the inheritance of the saints. And this is a beautiful truth for our lives that I just pray that you would marvel at and you would thank God for. And that it would move you to a place of adoration and love of this God who is so beautiful. When you look at the statement, he's qualified us for the inheritance of the saints. Most people tend to think of the inheritance of the saints as simply just heaven. And they begin to think maybe of like the streets of gold and all the nice things that we read about in the Bible about heaven. And the reality is, is that's not a bad thing. And I wouldn't say that you can't think about those things. But the truth is, I would say that is, that is not the true great inheritance of the saints. It's even better. Even better. That may be a portion of it, but that is not what we should emphasize when we think about the inheritance of the saints. The Bible tells us, when you look at uh, different verses, you see these verses in the Bible. Scripture says this about inheritance. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, 9 says this, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. This is so beautiful. You're, like Jesus, God the Father, considers you his inheritance. You're his portion. Like that, that is incredible. Like his reward, his delight is you, the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. That is the delight of God the Father. And so when you're thinking about the inheritance, what is the inheritance of the saints? What's God's inheritance? I don't even understand that. Like we're pathetic. We're so unworthy. And yet he says, you're my inheritance. What kind of God is this? Most beautiful God would ever know. But it says this also in Psalm 16, 5. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. And so this is what I say. I believe that according to Scripture, that the true inheritance of the saints is God himself. It's God himself. It is to be with God. And guess what? God has qualified you for that. God has qualified you to be in the presence of God. God has qualified you to dwell with God. God has qualified you to spend eternity with God. He has qualified you to commune with Him. And for all of eternity, He has qualified you to be with Him. The greatest gift, the greatest inheritance any man or woman in this earth could ever have is to be with God. Oh, let Him be my hero. So that I know that and I'm like, yes. I want to go to you. This makes quiet times not a task, but a joy. 
This makes Bible reading not a, a, a thing that I have to beat my hand to do. Though there's times it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. We all wrestle. But the reality is it's a joy because my inheritance is him. And through his word, I get to know him and experience him. The gift of being with God is truly the greatest thing we have ever been offered. Nothing compares or can be contrasted with it at all. To dwell, think about this y'all, your inheritance today that you've been qualified by God is this, to dwell with the all-loving, all-holy, all-righteous, all-pure, all-compassionate, and all-consuming God. That is your inheritance today. That is God's gift. That is God's moving on our life. To be welcomed into his family and into his presence and into his majesty. To be welcomed to such a place. But the reality is of this passage and this truth that though we have been qualified for this wonderful gift, it was not without cost. It was not without cost at all for us to be qualified for such a place of intimacy and fellowship. God, there was a great cost to be paid. A cost that none of us would be willing to do ourselves, but a cost that only God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit would agree today together in eternal eternal togetherness, or whatever you want to call it, eternal oneness, they agreed that the cost they were willing to pay for you and I to have the inheritance, to be qualified by God, to dwell with Him. That is the whole biblical story. Revelation. What is the pinnacle of that end of the book? And God will be their God and He will dwell in their midst. That is what eternity is going to consist of. Dwelling with God, we only get a taste of it now. Every one of you who are born again, who know Christ, Romans 8 teaches us that we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us now. And we get to experience a little bit now, but there will come a day where we will, um, we, there will be no holding back, no restraints of the dwelling place of God with us. And nothing, no sin nature, nothing will happen. It'll be completely, a place, I can't even imagine, it'll be, but it'll be completely the glory of God in His place. Can you, can you just dwell on it? Can you think about it? Can it move you? Or is it not really that exciting to us anymore? Let it be exciting to us. Let it move us to a place of, wow, the wowness of God. It wasn't without cost. In fact, the cost of this qualification, we didn't earn it, right? You know what it was. The truth is, is that we were not qualified because of our state of sin, our position of sin. All of humanity is in a position of sin apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. Removing them from that position. I think sometimes people think about sin as this plurality. Sin, sin, sins. And they got this list and this is what I am. Yes, we do sins, right? But the reality is, is all of humanity is in a, or were, who were not born again, were in a position of sin. This was what they were, the position of sin. They were in this state. No hope for it. And because the Father is all righteous and holy, sin, which we, the position that we had, could not dwell in his midst. So in order for us to become partakers in the inheritance of this glorious inheritance of God dwelling with God, we would need to be made saints. Inheritance of the saints. Saints simply mean to be holy. And in order for such a task, for this to be accomplished, our sins would need to be dealt with. And our sins would need to be forgiven. And the cost was his son taking upon himself the sin of all of humanity, paying the price for our sin and our rebellion. 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in an eternal agreement paid the cost for us to have such a great inheritance in His presence. It was not just some little thing for us to have this. That's why it's so great. That's why the, the inheritance is so beautiful. Because He was willing to do it. God our Father, our hero. The Son shedding His blood to cleanse us and to qualify us for the presence of God. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that washes us white as snow. We sing about the blood, the blood, the blood. The Father struck Him. The Father, Isaiah tells us, struck Him. Smitten Him. Because He wanted to qualify you and me to be with Him. And He knew the only means for which it was possible was the payment of sin and our sins to be washed and forgiven. And the only one that was capable of doing such a task as that was the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a life, died on the cross for sin, for humanity's sin, buried, resurrected, ascended to the Father, and will one day come again. Him. The gospel. Jesus. And so I just declare to you, the first observation, He's qualified you. He's qualified us. I know there it says you. Some manuscripts will actually say he has qualified us saints together. Beautiful picture. So I pray that even that, just the beginning of this, you would see he is our hero because he has qualified us. Second observation of this passage starts in verse 13. He says, he has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Say this, the second observation is simply this. He has delivered us. My God, my hero. This speaks of the Father's involvement in our deliverance. He has delivered us. Galatians 1, 5, 1 through 5 says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, the Father who raised him from the dead. God, the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. That we might be free. He delivered us by raising Christ from the dead. And he gives us that freedom. All the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. To deliver us up from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. And amen. Galatians 1.5 reveals this. Is that it was the Father who willed our deliverance. It says there. According to the will of God our Father. It was his will. That we would be delivered. What a, what a God. What a hero. He has delivered us. It's so beautifully phrased here because it is not just a phrase we jump over, but it, what is it? He has delivered us. This is a past tense verb. It is declaring to us that we don't have to work for deliverance today because he has already done it, church. He's already done it. So many people walk around saying, I need to be delivered. Need to be del-. The scripture says, you have been delivered by the Father. The Father has delivered you. And I know you may have battles and you may struggle with things, but the reality is you've been delivered today. And what you need is not to earn your deliverance. What you need is an awakening of the Holy Spirit to say, you're delivered, my child. And it moves me and it moves you to a place of love for this king. 
a place of love for this God who has delivered us because he's already done it. God did not do a halfway job here. He did not deliver us halfway, but he has set us free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? We love these one-liners. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He did not halfway get us out of this place, but he has fully delivered us. You are not left like, well, I'll worry about that part later. Salvation is deliverance. The fact that the Father has delivered us screams to me that he is a good, good father. We sing about it over and over again, but it is the reality that he has done the work, declares he is the good, good father. But the beautiful thing is when we examine this truth that he has delivered us, you have to tack on the second part of this verse. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So it's already beautiful enough that he's delivered us, but when you see where he's delivered us from, it makes it even better. Where has he delivered us from? The place of darkness. This was us in the kingdom of the evil age. Ephesians, this is basically a summary of Ephesians, where we were. This place, this state that we were in, this domain was of darkness and bondage. It was this. It was us in the kingdom of the evil age. It was us being dead in our sins. It was us following the prince of the world. It was us being children of wrath. It was us being enemies of God. This was our state in the domain of darkness or the kingdom of darkness. This is all we were. This is all we knew. Our previous state was not one of rainbows and sunshine, but it was a hopelessness. It was war. It was living blindly without purpose, without direction and without peace, without freedom. It was a place of depression, a place of emptiness, a place of suicide. A place of brokenness, a place of damnation, a place of rebellion, a place of anger, a place of envy, a place of dishonesty. But you are not there anymore for he has delivered you. He has delivered us from the place of hell where we couldn't deliver ourselves. God the Father is our deliverer. He's our warrior God. Who broke the lines of the enemy and rescued us from the domain of darkness. Imagine, he saw you past that line. He saw you in the other kingdom. Broke down the enemy's lines of defense through his son's death and resurrection. And went in there and took you. Because he saw you and he loved you. He loved us. And freely anyone who says, well call on the Lord, he'll do the same today. Anyone who calls on the Lord, he will run and rescue you. As he heard the cries of the people in Exodus, as the Israelites cried and heard, the, he heard their groanings. If you call on the name of the Lord today, he'll rescue you from your place of darkness. He'll take you out of that domain. But Christian, I also want to remind you, don't you believe that you're in that place today? Don't let Satan convince you you're in a place of darkness, of the domain of darkness. You're not there. But if you are in that place, today's your day where he can come and rescue you. He will break through the enemy lines. He will do it because his son defeated the enemy. He ran into the kingdom of darkness and grabbed you. This is what we read about in Exodus 15, 1 through 7. And I won't read the whole thing, but this is after the Israelites have been delivered from, from, the, uh, from 
the Egyptians and they are on the safe side. I'm sorry, guys. I need to wipe my nose. They're on the safe side. And they write this song. And it says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. And this is what it says. I love so beautifully the description here. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. He has chosen, his, his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. When he took you out that day, this is what he did. Man of war. The Lord, Yahweh, the man of war, has done this for our lives. This is why he's my hero. And I pray this is why he's your hero today. He's something, isn't he? He really is something. And if you're in this place today and you're in darkness, the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, he will deliver you today. The beautiful thing is this leads me to the last observation. And that is not only that he's delivered us, but he has transferred us. He has transferred us. He has qualified us. He has delivered us. And he has transferred us. I love him. When you look at this verse here, it says he's transferred us into the kingdom of where? Who? His son. The father not only delivered us from the domain of darkness, but he put us into the rule of his beloved son, where we are his subjects and he rules and reigns text makes it very clear that we are not just taken out and god we're not just taken out but we are put into the greatest place of safety and peace there is we are put into a place underneath the care of jesus christ the king of the kingdom and what a king he is this is who you, god has placed you underneath and me underneath he is the servant king he is a, the gracious king he is the merciful king He is the sacrificial king. He is the all-powerful king. He is the king who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the king whose name is above every name. He is the king that the earth is his footstool. He is the king who washes the feet of his subjects. Contrast that. The earth of his footstool washes the feet of his subjects. He is the king of kings. He is our king Jesus. His kingdom is described in Romans as one where there is righteousness, peace, and the Holy Spirit. And although there are great blessings about the kingdom that God has put us in, the greatest blessing of all the kingdom is this, that Jesus is the king and the king is there. And that we get to be with the king. This king loves us so perfectly. This king will not abuse you. This king will not hurt you. This king will not harm you. This king will not betray you. But this king will love you. This king will care for you. This king will strengthen you. This king will get you home. He will finish the job. So it's not that we've just been transferred or taken out of darkness. We've been transferred into the greatest kingdom of all. King of kings. We've been transferred under the rule of the greatest king that the world has ever and will ever know. And it is underneath this king we get to live. It's just that incredible. It's that incredible. So it just screams to me, God's my hero. What's so beautiful about this is what described the rest of this verse, verse 14. 
the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you read this, what's so beautiful about the king here is that because in this kingdom, what we find is the description of redemption, forgiveness of sins. This is the description of the kingdom of Jesus. We know that the word redemption comes from the word redeem, which simply means to be bought, to buy them or to set them free. And the king's kingdom is one of redemption. Because he himself is the means of redemption. He himself is the one that redemption came through. The means of redemption by his death. The price paid to buy us back and set us free. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we are set free from both the penalty and the power because of his resurrection. And I think about this, just as the early Israelites were redeemed from the grasp of Egypt, they had no way out, 400 years of slavery, no army could rescue them, no people could do anything, they could not rise up, they did not have the means. Here comes the God who would redeem them out of Egypt. So has Jesus done so with us. So has Jesus done so with us. The king's kingdom is described not only as one of redemption, but one of forgiveness. It simply means to cancel or to send away. And this is what Jesus has done with your sin and my sin today. If you know him today, you know this truth. He has done away with our sin. He has sent our sin away by his sacrifice. He took our sin away because of his sacrifice. Reality is some of us, even as saints in here, need to be reminded of this truth that you have been forgiven by Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Some of us walk in with baggages and weights and, uh, well, I didn't do well this week, so I can't enter the presence of God. I can't get in the altar. I can't worship. They must have done really good this week. They're in the altar worshiping. No, no, not at all. We've all failed. But this king's kingdom is described as one that forgiveness flows because he gives forgiveness. The Bible's very clear. Forgiveness is something that we ask for. First John tells us that. He is faithful and just to give us forgiveness, right? We ask. He is faithful. This is what the king does. He has dealt with our sin by forgiving us. Colossians 2, 13-15 talks about how we were dead in our trespasses, uncircumcised of our flesh. And God made us to get alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, our sin that stood against us with its legal demands, which was death. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he dismembered, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them open to shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus, his kingdom is victorious. And so these three simple observations. Reality is, as I was just sitting here and just thinking about God, you're my hero. All I could see was this beautiful passage where it says, God has qualified me. You're my hero today. God, you have delivered me. You're my hero God the Father, you have transferred me into the, to the place of your son where forgiveness and redemption flow, where you're the perfect king. You'll never destroy me or harm me, but you'll carry me. You'll, you'll get me home. And all of this, according to this passage, is accredited to the Father. And what the passage teaches us is because of these things comes the thanks. And if thanks is in our heart, our hearts don't become hardened. And church, some of you may have hardened hearts today. Maybe you've walked in and you've just been cold with God. What you need is not a download of what I just taught you or showed whatever, read. You don't need a download of, of information to walk out and say, three points. I've got, do, 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 and memorize it, and you've got memorization. And what you need is truthfully the Holy Spirit. 
to illuminate it. Because then when he illuminates it, you begin to worship. When you begin to worship, the heart is no longer hardened. And so musicians, you can come up and... I was thinking about this and you may ask, you know, basically what we did is we just kind of walked through gospel truths. That's really what we did. We just walked through gospel truths. The reality is, is I think a lot of people think as Christians that we graduate from the gospel. You graduate, you move on. And I just want to tell you, this is not true. You don't graduate from gospel truths. In fact, when you really look at Paul's letters, most of them are just like gospel truths. And then, okay, this is the gospel truth. This is how it affects the way you live. It's really what Paul does. Almost every one of his letters. Very simple. Paul didn't just abandon the gospel, but he brought it up all the time. And there's many reasons why we need to hear the gospel. And I'll just lay a few of them out to you. Simplicity is this. is because we actually grow in this revelation. There, may, there, have been a, there was a day when you heard the gospel and you put your faith and you trusted in Jesus as sufficient for the sacrifice for your sin. And you confessed him as Lord and you decided to follow him and he was your savior that day. Yes, that was true. But the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit for the rest of your Christian life wants to deepen your understanding of the, of the love of God displayed through the gospel. Not something you just walk off of. I know today, I promise you this, the truths about the gospel that I know today are, are way more glorious now. I may, I, I may have heard the same fact, okay? Please understand what I'm saying. I may have heard the same statement, but they're, they're way more glorious to my life now and affect me more now than the day I actually got born again in many ways. Because the Holy Spirit has given me greater illumination, revelation of those truths. And for the rest of your Christian life, that's what God, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Is deepen that. It's not just, it's not just facts memorized. It's the revelation of the Holy Spirit illuminating the beauty of the gospel. And the beautiful thing about that is why this is so important to us. Is that... We really love God. And you can say in the first John, you can use this all the place. We really love God. Really because it's in response to his love for us. And the gospel declares God's love for us. So, so we always ask the question, how do I love God more? And this, this is like a whole other sermon. But the reality, and I'm not going to go there. But the reality is, is you want to love God more? Let the Holy Spirit reveal God's love to you greatly. Revisit the gospel. Revisit the foundation of what Jesus has done and what the Father has done and how the Father has delivered you and the Father has qualified you. The Father has transferred you. Revisit those truths so that your heart can be awakened by the Holy Spirit so that you can actually love Him. Ephesians lays that out beautifully. We need to be reminded of these gospel truths because our love for God is really tied to our growing illumination of the gospel by the Spirit. We need to be reminded of these truths because it is through these things, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, we gain endurance and strength. God still loves me. These things have not shifted. And so I just I end with the same question Who is your hero? Who is your hero? declare to you whether you know it or not yet the reality and the truth is God the Father is our hero there is no one like him 
And no one compares. And he's worthy of our praise today. He's worthy of thanksgiving. He's worthy of all of it. For some of you in here today, you might not know God. Maybe you're in that domain of darkness still. I say to you, receive the offer of God. Receive what God offers. Sometimes we talk about this as accept Jesus, and I get that. I understand that. But truly, it's God is offering you to be qualified for his presence. God is offering to deliver you from the world you know and you're bound in. And God is offering you to be placed under the care of his son. And he says, would you receive it? And all you have to do to receive that today is to trust in the great sacrifice, the great one, Jesus. Died on the cross for our sins so that we could be qualified, so that we could be delivered, so that we could be transferred. Trust in him, place your faith in him and decide to follow him. Not in perfection, but to follow. Because he is the king. But for others in here today that maybe you are born again, you do know this, you, you recognize these things. I just encourage you, would these gospel truths simply move you to worship at Thanksgiving today? Would we be people of Thanksgiving worship in light of what the Father has done for us? Would you confess Him as your hero? And ask the Holy Spirit to make these deep truths. And not just today, but every day. As Paul would pray in Ephesians, his prayer was so that they, they would grasp and comprehend the love of God more and more. And this is what we need. All week I've been thinking about a particular song that God has used in my life greatly. I sing it to Titus at night. I don't know why, but I love singing this song to him. And it's the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I would just ask if we could sing that together. If you know it, sing, sing it. If you don't know it, I'm sure they can pull up the words for us. But would we stand? Could we stand in response to the great love of our Father, our hero, and sing this song to declare the Father's love for us? The altars are open. Y'all show your love, your gratitude, your thanksgiving. If you have a hardened heart, the formula for that is here today. Give him thanks. Give him praise. And if you're struggling to, ask the Holy Spirit to make your heart alive to these truths so that you can worship him and the heart can be softened today. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus.